Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Bob Lewis. Bob founded the Visionary Group 25 years ago to help CPA firms grow. He helps firms grow both organically and through custom mergers and acquisitions. Organically, Bob and his team help accounting firms refine or establish a business development and sales culture. He helps firms determine the best prospects and referral sources to pursue, develops processes to cross-sell to firms' existing clients, and works to teach CPAs how to develop or refine their sales skills. On the M&A side, Bob helps firms by expanding their existing markets, establishing new geographic locations, or adding a service or industry niche. And because of all the work he's been doing with firms around the country, Bob was recently added to Accounting Today's Top 100 Most Influential People in Accounting. Bob, welcome to the show. I'm just fabulous. It's a great introduction. So, uh, so Randy. Yes. I'll take a minute. I kind of explain what we do and let's go from there. Okay. Would that be good for your audience here? That'd be great. But one thing before we do that, I just want to let everybody know that I've, I've known you quite a long time. Uh, when we started Trimerit, you were helping us uh, uh, with some marketing materials and things. Long, that, long time ago. That was a long time ago, but I hadn't seen you in a while and you've been popping up at conferences and I've been seeing uh, marketing pieces with you right, lately. So obviously you've been making the rounds. So, so it's good to see you. It's good to reconnect. We got to reconnect, uh, I think it was last January uh maybe it was sometime Vegas, i believe yeah Vegas. that's what it was it was january in vegas that was right right before covid became rampant and none of us could go anywhere exactly <laughs> so, yeah. exactly and 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 that i look back to you know nine months ago and think man i used to travel but that'll happen again all right so so again welcome i have a i have to i want to go through a few things today and one i just you know if you can give us a quick background you know what is it that you guys do i gave a little bit in the intro but you could probably explain it better than i can okay the brief infomercial for those <laughs> three people listening no i'm kidding I oh no you're dissing my audience <laughs> so, and the two were you know, randy and me were two of them so um <laughs> What what we do is we only focus on CPA firms. That's been our entire concentration. Uh, we know this market inside out. We do three core things with firms. We act as the chief growth officer for firms across the country, handling all their marketing and business development or working with in-house marketing professionals for firms that have a more established footprint. The other thing we do, um, and we do quite a bit of this, is we do a lot of custom merger and acquisition work. So we find firms that are not up on the market yet for our clients either to tuck them into an existing location or to open up in a new location, like a platform city, as we call it. And occasionally, which has been a growing occasion, and more firms are looking to merge upward, as opposed to being the acquirer, looking to merge up or to exit out and sell. In fact, I just got off a phone call this morning with uh, another one that's looking at uh, how to get out and what to do. The last thing we do, and it's really all ties, these are all connected to growth, is we look at the succession planning inside these firms. And, and in a short story here, Randy, this is all tied together. Mm -hmm. So the reason why a lot of firms are looking at merger and acquisition, having to merge up is because their succession teams don't really have the skill set to develop business to pay out the exiting partners. So 
when you look at the organic side of the house, that's the sales culture side. That's, that's a little bit of a hole right now. And I can explain why that happened. The succession teams that are in place are good, solid people. But if they don't have the selling skills, the firm is left at the end of the day going, how am I going to get paid out? And their only option is often to merge upward. So the, the one cure can solve a lot of problems if we can teach these people how to sell. And, and Randy, over the years, the reason why people haven't sold, we've had a really strong economy for, what, 15 years at least. Yep. We've got a staffing shortage of CPA firms that, for accountants. There's less people sitting for the exam every year. Yep. So work has been spoon-fed down to people for the last 15 years. So now I've got a 40-year-old professional who's never sold. He or she just has never had to. And now they want to be, they want a seat at the table and the partners are going, well, to get a seat at the table, you need to bring in work and you need to have a network and they have to start from scratch at 40. And that's kind of really the conundrum that's existing in our, in our firms right now. Then let's, let's expand on those ideas then. So, so you, you mentioned the sales end of things, helping internally uh, teach the existing staff how to bring in additional business. You talk about the M&A side of things, and then the three things were the M&A, both uh, growth from an M&A standpoint and growth from an organic standpoint. Were those the three aspects that- uh, Yeah, that's really that's really the core here. And and we look at organically, if you take like a, a, I'm gonna use a $10 million firm just for easy math. If you're a million dollar firm, just take one-tenth of this yep. conversation, okay? But if you're looking to grow by 5% on a $10 million firm, just 5% organically, that's a half million dollars a year in new work, right? Yep. The problem is you got runoff. So runoff is work that doesn't repeat, clients that leave, you know, if you do any consulting, any evaluation practice, anything at all, the average runoff in firms can be anywhere from 10 to 15%. And it's not that you're losing clients because of poor work, it's just that it's non-repeat work. And if you're doing any level of consulting, I've seen firms at 40% runoff Yep. at big firms. So if you add another 10, 10% on that $10 million, just be conservative, I now need 1.5 million in revenue to get to 10.5. Right. And it's, right. that's a big change in the number. And now when you look at that, you look at how many people in that $10 million firm bring in any material level of work, the answer is often handfuls. Right. And as that number of 1.5 million gets bigger, it becomes more difficult for them to hit their growth model because the end of other people inside the firm are not really bringing in enough work. Right. And that's that's what we call impaired leverage, by the way. So, um, so when we're looking at this, then that scenario you just said, we're a ten million dollar firm. We want to grow by five hundred thousand. In reality, we're going to have to grow in this scenario by one point five million to get that five hundred thousand because of runoff, because of maybe even D clients getting rid of business. Maybe it's oh, yeah. uh, consulting services that are just not continuing every year, or specialized tax planning that's not happening yep. every year. All those things can contribute to this runoff uh, that you said. And then I'm guessing that the majority of that new business, the 1.5 or even potentially 2.5 is coming from just a few people inside the firm. Is that right. normally correct? That is a very accurate statement. And now it doesn't mean that more people in a $10 million firm, look, if you had a $10 million firm using an average of $200,000 per head per professional, I've got 50 people, Right. okay? So if I've got 50 people in the firm, if I have five of them bringing in a material level of work, that's typically a high number. Yep. Typically, the percentage we see is about 5% bringing in material level of work. So in a 50-person wow. you know, firm, I've got two to three partners bringing in the bulk of the work. Some firms that have more of an advanced sales culture or that have a lot more consulting, you're going to see that number bigger because consulting, selling consulting is a different art form than working on annuity work. So people who have more of a consulting-focused business 
have more skill sets in business developing business because they, they've had to. They've had to learn to do it to adapt. But um, they also probably have more runoff because those are probably a lot of one-off consulting, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do evaluation, is the simplest one to look at is if I'm going to do evaluation on Trimerit, okay? I'm probably not going to do that every year. No. Um, so, so I have to find a new value, a new trimerit to do evaluation on next year to re, to replace that. Okay, um, and and that's just about a baseline of an example as you can get. But think about things like succession planning you do inside these firms, one-off tax planning, estate plans, trusts, uh, developing those things are, are valuations big. But any kind of project work that's that's in place, that's why companies that sell like a lot of software. That they do software, software integration is part of their, their product line. You know, this, the firms that may do that, they're always on the hunt looking for the next project because they have to replace that backflow. Yep. Um, so, so then I'm guessing, and, and just from knowing the industry, I was in public for a long time before starting Trimerit, but I'm guessing that a majority of that business is coming in, we just said, from a couple people. And I'm guessing those you know handful of people are bringing the business are the ones that are, are looking to exit at sometime soon as well. So how do we you know, develop this growth strategy internally if we're only being, so, you know, if only two or three people are bringing a new business, how do we train the rest of the staff, I guess? And that's a little bit of a mixed bag now. Okay. So it could be some of the younger professionals that are bringing in work, like some of the younger partners. Okay. But at the end of the day, those partners are also doing a lot of line production, yep. administration in the firm. They're handling so many other issues that their time, the compression on their time is, is very limited. So how much time they even have to go out and develop the new work becomes an issue too. To me, the easiest thing to do, like Randy, if you've never sold before, which I know you have because you're in a company, which requires catch. Okay. Yep. Yes. <laughs> if you didn't need revenue, selling would be easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it it really yeah. would be. Okay. That's right. But the easiest place for, for people that don't have a lot of sales acumen and skills in place, you start with the existing clients. Okay. You've got a relationship with the existing clients. You've got all their financial information. You can identify where they're having problems with cash flow issues, or maybe with even simple things like using credit cards. Can they, can they reduce the credit card cost? There's companies out there that specialize in that. Freight cost, all these different things. But looking at even the more core basic issue is, look at their AR. If they have a long, if they have an aged AR that could be assigned that they don't have a collections process in place, they aren't doing their billing efficiently, they're, they're having the wrong kind of client that isn't paying. So simple things like that, and all the records are right there. So you need to teach the staff how to begin to look at the client differently outside the scope of like a tax or audit engagement. The only other big signals is looking at the age. So if I've got, you know, let's face it, the baby boomers are 65 now, Randy. Yep. Soon to be 66, they're about to have a birthday. Okay, the average baby boomer is gonna be 66. They own, estimates are about 60% of the businesses in the United States. So if I've got, you know, 20, 30% of my clients which is probably a low number in their mid sixties owning businesses. How are we helping them with transition planning? That's an easy pick because that involves sometimes changes in financial reporting, tax strategies, valuations, all kinds of work that fuels the firm and the staff can at least identify, if not learn how to sell it. Right. That would be a huge advantage for firms. Right. So then you're, you're, you're hitting that number organically internally without even having to go out and pitch new business to new clients at right. that point so, or helping well, add yeah. the way we typically look at the number is like, let's assume that it was a 1.5 million dollar number they have to hit yep we like to break it into four buckets okay one is direct prospects that you want to go after because you want to be selective if we go after to add the kind of like a level client that you want next 
Then we look at referral partners. So what efforts do you have in place marketing to referral partners? Because referral partners will often stereotype a firm. In, like, you're my auditor. You're the guy, you, you do audits. Okay. Right. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what we do for your three clients we're working with, but we do many other things. And referral partners, if they can convert them and get them engaged to work with their banking clients or whatever, uh, law firm clients, yeah, that's a, that's an annuity feed. So you look at, you look at the direct clients, their direct prospects, you look at the referral partners, okay? You look at those existing clients as we talked about, and then you look at value pricing. You have to look at how can I value price? Now, yep. you can't do contingent fees anymore in the CPA profession, at least not overtly, <laughs> um, <laughs> but but you can value price on a fixed fee engagement Yep. and, and make more than rate. And that's another way to make up that 1.5 million target, or if you're a smaller firm, whatever that number flows out to be. By the way, anybody that is listening, we we have a pretty interesting uh, a growth model for firms. It's a one-page Excel spreadsheet. It's really simple to use, and it allows you to calculate different percentages for runoff and growth and adding an M&A deal. Happy to send it out to anybody who just wants to send us an email, and we'll, we'll, we'll plug it out and send it out to you. And then you can play with the model and do what you want to do with it. But it's one page, very simple to use. Right. That's great. So at the end, we'll, we'll make sure that you get out some contact information. So people sure. are interested in that. I think that'd be great to, to get into their hands. All right. So let's go, let's go into that growth in general. Now we've been, you know, but training employees, we've been showing them how to identify additional work, but growth for growth's sake is great, but there has to be a point to it other than just let's get bigger on a revenue size. I mean, I'm assuming we want to increase the value or we want to increase the take-home pay for all employees, you know, partners, employees. We want to make ourselves be a target potentially for acquisition. I mean, so when we're looking at growth, what's the, what's the point that we're trying to accomplish? Okay. There's, there's two components to the growth side. All steps that you do inside the firm should be looking at how do you build the value of the firm? So let's start with that. Okay. okay. So the question becomes, how do I make the firm more valuable? Should I be sure I put the, put it to, up for sale today? Now you may never want to sell your firm, but if you're operating a firm under the, under the premise that it's becoming more valuable, you're probably making more profits from it and or developing a firm that your succession team actually wants to buy into. Okay. The third option of course is, you know, you're also market ready should somebody knock on the door or you have to make a change in direction and have to merge it up. You want to be able to get optimal value and optimal value is a very variable question. Some people optimal value is not money. It's a solution for their clients and their employees. There's a lot of ways to look at what value is, but the other side about growth is you do have to get bigger. It is a revenue play. Okay. And in this market right now, when you look at the cost of administration, recruiting, technology, all the regulatory issues involved, it's hard for smaller firms to survive because they can't do all the pieces. And that artificial intelligence, it's creeping around the background. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just creeping around out there. It's coming up, it raises its head. That's going to, that's going to automate a lot of the compliance work. And when that happens, if you don't have enough size and leverage, you're going to get hit hard mm -hmm. and the cost of that technology for the automation is going to get more and more expensive. Okay. Plus the implementation of it. And it's hard for a small firm to really be able to, to adapt. And that's, that's one of the reasons why there's actually a lot of M&A going on is some firms are just giving up. They just, they can't hire talent right. on their own. They're not large enough. So well, that's a big part. Yep. Let's talk about the M&A activity then. Obviously, you just mentioned one reason M&A has been, has been big in general. What are you seeing in the M&A uh, uh, circuit right now? Okay. Well, COVID was a just phenomenal year for M&A. Just people were like, oh, let me just sell my firm in the middle of a pandemic when I'm 
for probably alive. Yeah. So we have we have recently seen the ice melt on MA. We've had massive amount of activity all year. I mean, just all year. Conversations have been going on, but getting deals to close, and that's even evident in what you see in the papers. When you read accounting today, there aren't a lot of deal flows going on. And honestly, to be to be blunt, most deals that occur never hit the paper. Okay. Uh, they, they just really don't. Okay? Right. Uh, but the big name ones always do. Yep. So we we have closed this year, just in the last month, we've closed three deals. Okay. And we have right now four more under letter of intent. We are doing searches all over the country for dozens of firms right now in all kinds of size, from small firms all the way to the top 20 kind of firm in different cities. There's a lot of... Uh, hesitancy on some of these deals still because people are not sure depending on the mix of the firm their client mix may have been impacted quite heavily by the pandemic okay but some of the firms are some of the firms are really killing it right now they're having record years other firms are not they're they're having a lot of difficulty could you imagine if you had a firm that specialized in restaurants right yep okay it'd be tough which we've talked to quite a few of those by the way yeah and they're about half the size of what they were uh, we talked to a firm in Hawaii right right before the pandemic. Yep. who was looking to merge up and out. They probably lost half the revenue. Wow. I just, it's just you know it is what it is. I mean, yeah, Hawaii is all commercial tourism, and yep. and that shuts down. That'll come back, but you know, right. then the reposition and get back in the market. Everything's going to stabilize. I think the question is, are people are getting older. Will it stabilizing? And eventually, they're going to be forced to make a decision to get out at some value that may not be what they optimally want. But, you know, at some point you have to move on with your life and get, you know, even move into retirement stage or not. Right. That, that on the M&A side, though, it's been very interesting. Values have fallen a little. And, is it, but they're, they're still reasonable out there. There's right. a lot of activity in small firms. Is it still, I mean, the smaller firms acquiring small firms or from that yeah. side, standpoint? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that are, um, I, I, we, I've had this conversation the other day with another actually a peer because <laughs> we're trying to figure something out in the market we don't understand. We're seeing a lot of smaller firms getting acquired quickly. Okay. okay. And they're not getting acquired by the larger firms because the larger firms don't want the really small firms because they don't right. fit in the portfolio, right? Right. So what we're thinking is going on is there's a lot of people that, you know, I was a CFO of a company. I'm no longer the CFO of a company because of the pandemic. I take my severance or my whatever, and I buy an accounting firm, a small practice. Right. That's where I think a lot of that market is going right now. I'm not sure how well that's going to sustain itself, but it's just been an unusual trend we're seeing for some of the smaller firms turning quickly. And that normally they aren't the most attractive. But there are, by the way, 39,000 small firms in this country. That's quite a few. Yeah, there's only 40,000 total, roughly. So yeah. <laughs> there's a 1,000 yeah. firms with a million dollars or more in revenue is really the estimate. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a lot of firms available for a merger and acquisition on one end of the other. I'm assuming when when we're looking at M and A work, obviously, you know, someone who's acquiring or or or, or looking to merge in a firm, you know, maybe has different uh, ideas or reasons that they're doing it than the ones that are being acquired. I'm assuming when you are acquired, often it is an exit strategy. Um, it's, yeah, it's a hybrid. Often, if it's a really small firm with one one owner. Yep. Typically, it's a straight-up transition. They're just looking at an exit strategy. If you've got a smaller firm with a couple of partners, often it'll have a what we would call a hybrid. You'll see one older partner who may be wanting to get out in a couple of years, yep. with a younger 40-year-old partner that's going to be there for permanent. And that's actually what a lot of the 
like the upward merger partners are looking for. They're looking for some succession team. They're looking for niches. Niches are huge right now. Oh, I was going to say that. Yep. Yeah. You have, an, you have an all construction firm or all state planning for whatever. That makes a much more valuable practice for from an acquisition perspective. Because the acquiree is looking to add that niche that they don't have or expand that niche that they do yeah. have. And, right. and typically when you're niched up very deeply, you've got good quality clients where a generalist firm can have a diverse mix of clients that may not have quite the same uh, value add to the bottom line that the larger firm's looking for. I'm guessing That's, it's the smaller firm who does not is the generalist. It might be late in the game if they're looking to get merged and, and become that niche. I mean, it doesn't it's, it doesn't happen overnight for you to become a niche firm. If no, they have long-term planning, I'm assuming they can put that into play. Do you recommend that for firms that are, if they've got a five, 10 year horizon or something, or are you not I, involved at that point? Oh no, I would definitely look that I would recommend strongly that they open up some kind of a niche. It doesn't have to be an industry niche. It right. could be a service. So, you know, one of the easiest ones for me to grab, grab a hold of, open up a transition planning niche inside your firm. Yep. You've always got a steady feed of, of, of clients that are going to have to find a way out or do family succession. And, and a lot of those services related to that are services the firm can provide directly until you get into the brokerage on the back end, which is actually helping sell a firm. But you can align that with brokers in the market that specialize in, in selling that type of a company. Right. But to me, that would be something easy for most firms to get a hold of. It just takes a little bit of time to, to lay it out we call it a transition blueprint. Um, it's really not that complicated, but even even some of those those service centers are great. If you could, I, I will tell you right now, if it were me and I had a 10 year window to exit, I'd be building a client accounting services niche and I would be building that hard because that is what firms are looking for. If we client accounting across, services, that's, that's the thing niche. that's really been uh, changing lately in, in, in public accounting, isn't it? Is huge. Because that dropped for a while, correct? Well, the, the problem was people referred to it as bookkeeping. Yes. And they thought of it as, you know, so you can hire somebody for $12 an hour to do quick QuickBooks and take care of your books. That's not client accounting services. That is pure bookkeeping. Client accounting service is going, hey, Randy, you're a 100-person organization. You don't want to focus on the accounting. Let us outsource that accounting function for you or work with your CFO controller. We'll take care of the transactional side or become your fractional and take care of the whole side. And that is that's client accounting services, not the bookkeeping where half a million dollar company goes and, and gets somebody to do write up work for five hundred dollars a month. Right. That's why firms got away from it. Because right. that's what the model was. Now there's a massive ability here to be able to do client accounting services virtually. Okay, so you can yep. do it anywhere and you can specialize your niches. Yep. And the technology is so much better than it used to be that it's now something that people can break bring back in. And, and when you look at the value prop on that thing. Here, it sounds so, so cool to say the word value prop. Um, <laughs> the value proposition on that. So if you've got a firm that's charging $150 an hour for accounting services, that's a hard number to sell. Because I look at that and go, I can hire somebody for 300000 a year, right? Full-time at yeah. 150 an hour, right? Okay. So instead of everything, you know, everything goes to fixed fee. So instead of charging you 3000 a month, 4000 a month, 10000 a month. And I'm like, oh, $5,000 a month, $60,000 a year. I can't, I can't even hire a qualified person off the street for that, but I can hire an entire complete department with a turnkey operation. Right. They're charging $150 an hour to do it, maybe 200, but the client doesn't care. They just see the tab, a fixed fee. And that's where the value add comes in when you look at your equation on yep. how to build to get your 1.5 million or whatever that number is you're looking at. 
but you got to be able to systemize and do it. You can't do it by adding, you know, 10 more bookkeepers to your staff <laughs> and trying to do it that way. That's where firms are having trouble a little bit, struggling to make that conversion. Okay. And then, then who do they target? So, so you know, when you do add a niche like that, or, or you add a niche of valuation, or you add a niche of, you know, you know, we're a niche firm with specialty tax. Yeah, when you're, I'm when a you niche have, firm. Yeah, when you have that that niche aspect to it, you know, I when I was in public accounting, I merged two firms into me, smaller firms. You know, they were not big deals, but at that point, we were looking. It was like you know, one times billing was about the valuation. Is that still common? And if so, is it is it higher when you are a niche firm? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about valuation yep. on this. The typical way we answer this question is all deals start in a multiple of one time. Okay. okay. Now, Randy, your practice could go for a little bit more, likely in this market. Most of them go for a little bit less. We see deals falling more at 0 0.95, 0 0.9, 0 0.85, depending on the, the issue. See, we had one we did at 1.5 last year. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Was it that was our client uh, who paid 1.5? It was a phenomenal it. deal in the end of the day. We right. we talked, we tried to talk our client off the ledge three times. We're like, I think this is a huge mistake. Right. Like, we're talking ourselves out of our own success fee at the same right. point here. Okay. Right. But at the end of the day, it was the right thing for him to do. He was right on the money for what he was thinking. I knew why he did it. It was just a calculated risk and it paid off for him. Okay. But you start the conversation at one time, then Randy, I have to look at your book and, and look and understand your practice and what it's worth. There's so many variables. Do you have a bench? How old are your clients? What are you selling? What's your average rate structure? What's your realization? Now, if you got a niche, good chance you've got a higher performing company. Okay, that could sell for a little bit more. Okay, but now it also comes down to, are we looking at some kind of cash up front? What's the payout terms? How long do you want to be around? Yep. All these are variables that come into the equation. I had one client who um, just did a deal and uh, the multiple went down quite a bit. Because we assumed a lease. Okay. We assumed a lease that, quite frankly, you never should have signed in the first place. But we took the liability off your back. He took the liability off his back, off the, off the other firm's back, and it was adjusted in the price. So there's all kinds of ways. My point is, if you're able to buy a firm for like 0.7 or 0.6, I would question why. Right. Okay, especially if you're not paying all cash up front, which is a high-risk proposition. Yes. But if I could buy a firm for like, 0.6 of value and pay them over time for that. There's something in there that's not right. Okay. Right. Right. <laughs> or you're dealing with a very unsophisticated seller, but then right. how did they build a practice that was that great if they weren't that smart? So exactly. Uh, we have a ton of horror stories in M&A that, that's always a ball. Um, well, I don't think we'll do that on this podcast, no, no, but one day, one day I'm going to talk to you about those horror stories just to, <laughs> to hear. Probably not on air, unless we decide that they're uh, good they're, stories. They're I'll keep them quiet. I'll, keep, I, I'll make it discreet. No one knows. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe we'll get on. The, we'll have a podcast, The Horror Stories of M&A, and then we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll broadcast that maybe after the pandemic. So, all right. Um, all right. So, we, we've kind of gone into a lot today, you know, not real deep in some, a little deeper in others, but just that whole growth aspect from a, you know, let's train internal staff to be able to bring additional business. And that can be for a different, a few different reasons. One, you know, let's, let's, let's have 
organic growth and organic transformation from one uh, uh, group of partners to the next. I'm assuming that's key for that. Yeah. Um, we talked about the M&A with uh, being able to, you know, um, either grow your firm or have an exit strategy for your partners or, or just, you know, wanting to be able to stay in your firm, but have additional services you offer by merging up, uh, things like that, uh, organic growth. Uh, uh, anything that I missed on any key aspects that we need to highlight? Highlight before we wrap that up? Now, I would say just in summary, look, if you're looking at your firm, any size firm, look at and even the big ones, you have to look at how many people can really bring in work. That's yep. the first thing. If you've got people, you've got to have a lot of line technicians too, because line people get the work done. Okay. You can't expect people to convert into salespeople overnight. And you have to figure out if you've got a herd of 10 or 20 or 30, you're trying to figure out how to get them to sell more. Probably only a third of them are going to be able to make it work. Right. But you want to put the energy and resources into making that work because those third will be going to be a succession team that's going to allow you to either have more options and, and quite frankly, help you grow the practice significantly. Getting them over the fear of selling is the first thing. Yep. And they learn that by learning how to ask the right questions. Most of them have no idea how to write, ask the right questions. So I'll ask you a question like, Randy, are you happy with your current firm? So I'm asking you a closed question. Okay. Right. And you go, yes. And then now what do I do? <laughs> so, right. Right. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, ask different kinds of questions, figure out how to ask. And we, we, it's easy for us to show people how to, how to learn to ask different questions or how to ask for referrals without right. any rejections. So and more like finding their pain point type questions or. Well, okay. So like here, that's, it's all about finding the pain. Okay. okay. Why there's a, we call it the why why do they want to make a change? Nobody wants to talk to a CPA firm. No, no company wants to talk to a CPA firm just because they feel like taking phone calls or right, meetings. Right, right. So why did they take the meeting? Something's going on. You have to figure out how to get there. And to get there, you have to ask the right questions. So like Randy is an example, why, why firms don't ask for referrals? They, because they ask, well, Randy, you know, we've been working with you for a couple of years now. I'd, I'd love to get some firms just like yours that would, who can you recommend? Right. I'm asking you a question now. I'm putting you on the spot. You're thinking you don't have anybody. You may not want to refer. And I've created an awkward situation. Yep. So I just ask you the question differently. Randy, you deal with a lot of firms across the country. If you see one that looks like they need some help with growth or merger and acquisitions, give me a call. Send me an email. Now, I'm not yep. looking for anything from you right now. Yep. And I planted the seed, which I just did to you, by the way, Randy. I just planted the seed to you. <laughs> I noticed that. <laughs> I didn't even plan that. That was totally accidental. <laughs> so, but that is how you do it with a client. You're right. the client the same way. You just, hey, if you think of somebody, we'd love to talk to them. Yep. You know, give us a call, send an email. Just make sure that, like Randy, next week, I won't call you or send you an email going, what were those firms again? <laughs> right. So I just exactly. let it go. I plant the seed. It may work. It may not. And we but move on. There. Yep. Simple things like this can get people moving and talking. Yeah. No, I can see that sales, CPAs in general, I've always said this and hear it that, you know, one, they don't want to be sold to, which, you know, kind of to me translates that they're awkward, feel awkward selling. So, yeah. so I've always gone with the standpoint of one, when I'm selling, which I don't really say, I'm just educate people. I'm never, I'm just out there. I, I, I do tons of education and I love it. Um, and, and, and that's what we're doing. And then if they find that it's interesting and that's something they can use, then they'll call me. So that's the way we approach it too. We figure we share information. We talk to people about their issues. If they think we're really smart, <laughs> two, two people so far in my <laughs> career thought we're really smart until they got to know us. And then they said, well, no, that really weren't that smart. Well, maybe but, one uh, of the two listeners today will think you're real smart too. No, wait, we had three. Remember? We had three. three. All right. So, All right. Anyway. 
<laughs> I really appreciate the time today, Randy. Before we wrap up, two things we got to do. One, and I didn't warn you ahead of time, I like to end on a fun fact. So I don't know if you have a fun fact about Bob Lewis you'd like to share. And it's not, you know, you you like educating CPAs. It's like you're out, you're a, a skateboarder or a surfer or you collect uh, thimbles or something. Uh, well, any, any fun fact? Shockingly, uh, I'm not in my 30s anymore, but um, or 40s. Okay. But uh, up until like a year and a half ago, I played full court basketball twice a week for 15 years. So, Bob, you and I would have got along well on that. I played three to five times a week from age 18 till age 53 until my legs couldn't take it anymore. And I got a new knee now. So left knee, left knee decided at one point it was had enough. Yeah. Uh, when it would, so but yes, I love playing. I can't say I was good at it. Uh, I was streaky at best. Yeah. Um, but I was a great block. I could <laughs> got a nice, you nice the screen, size. Huh? I could stand there and take a charge really well. All you right. know, Just take a charge. So, pick and roll. Would you roll to the basket at least and look for the ball? I, I do a little roll. I'm better at the pick. But All right. yeah. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah, I love basketball. That's one thing I miss more than anything right now is is being able to get out and play. And and I've been tempted to, all right, let's get down to like the lightest I've ever been and see if I can put a little weight on that knee. I'm not sure it's going to work, but. Uh, yeah, I tore it and yeah. did things to it. And yeah. it. So it is all what right. it is. So fun hey, fact, and I didn't know that about fact. you. I wish I would have known that about you. I was still playing, you know, 12 years ago when we met. We could have went out on the court, I guess. All right. And then last thing. Let's get your contact information, whether it's website or LinkedIn or whatever. Sure. Just so if people want that Excel or any other information from you. Yeah, the growth model is kind of cool because you can play with it. And there's no charge or anything really that stuff. We just fire it off for you. So we're at 800-995-9186 if you call in. Website is Think. That's T-H-I-N-K, Visionary. And you can see the Visionary group right there, but just thinkvisionary.com. And then my email is Lewis at thinkvisionary.com. Nice. We have a lot of very interesting things coming out right now. It's the pandemic actually forced us to think through some things. Like we're yep. starting to do uh, uh, some very interesting things with proposals right now. Yeah, and we're sure. showing our clients how to use some kind of a little more cutting edge techniques to specifically go after a company, like a technique to open a door, one company. So we'll see how that works out. But you, know, you always got to keep swinging at some different areas because everything's, the market's constantly changing. Oh, and yeah. You got to adapt. So you got to adapt and change along with it. Well, it's been great having you on. Great to catch up. I wish we'd go out and play some basketball. That's not going to happen. But I'm looking forward to seeing you at some conference sometime next fall, I'm assuming. Yep. Hey, so Randy, remember one thing. Yep. Send, send that referral. Now, you got to send that firm referral. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> I'm going to call send... next week. I'm calling next week. You okay? brainwashed me. It's in there now. <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, who do I know that Bob needs to talk to? All right. And again, I just really appreciate you doing this. I know you got to actually get on the road here in an hour, so I appreciate you squeezing <laughs> uh, this rough. in. Thank you for joining us today. And you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode where we'll be going beyond compliance into forging new pathways of delivering value to clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and leading edge management techniques and styles. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios. 